Hello, I'm Emily Ellis, Reference Librarian at Knox County Public Library. Welcome to Brown Bag Green Book, a program series featuring discussions of books about sustainability brought to you by Knox County Public Library and the City of Knoxville. In this, our second program, Elizabeth Eason talks about Cradle to Cradle, Remaking the Way We Make Things by William McDonough and Michael Brongart. Ms. Eason is the principal architect at Elizabeth Eason Architecture, the Knoxville-based design studio she established in 2003. She has more than 19 years of professional experience working with a wide variety of commercial, civic, nonprofit, and residential clientele. Her firm specializes in sustainable design of buildings and communities throughout East Tennessee. Ms. Eason is a licensed architect and an accredited professional with the U.S. Green Building Council's LEED system. She is an active board member of Knox Heritage, chair of the U.S. Green Building Council East Tennessee chapter, and serves on Mayor Haslam's Energy and Sustainability Task Force. She is also a member of Leadership Knoxville's 2009 class, and Ms. Eason serves on Governor Bredesen's Energy Policy Task Force. Um, so today I'm talking about Cradle to Cradle, which is a book written by William McDonough and Michael Braungard. And I think one of the really interesting things about this book is that it's a collaboration between an architect and a chemist. Looking at it from that perspective, interesting ideas can really evolve when you have two diverse groups talking about a problem and, and approaching it from different perspectives. And I think that's one thing that this book really does for us, is bringing those two people together, both in the book and in the, the endeavors that they're taking on as a company now. Um, they're tackling some interesting, interesting problems from a new perspective. Um, it also is interesting because they're coming from two ends of the product life cycle. The chemist is starting before the product exists and developing the product from the very beginning. And then the architect is looking at putting that product into use and how it gets applied, in his case, into buildings and construction. Um, so also looking from those two perspectives makes this a very interesting book. TED Talks has a great clip, if you're familiar with TED Talks, with William McDonough talking about this concept. One of the quotes from TED Talks that I wanted to start with from, from William McDonough is, this is his quote, our goal is a delightfully diverse, safe, healthy, and just world with clean air, water, soil, and power, economically, equitable, ecologically, and elegantly enjoyed. And that's quite a sentence, but I think it's a, it's a nice one, and it's a nice one to kick off um, sort of the mission of, of what they're doing as an organization and, and where the book is headed. Okay, so we're going to start out with, and I'm going in sort of in the sequence of the book to talk about some of the concepts briefly, and then at the end of, of my overview of the book, I want to open it up and I have some specific questions for you guys that I'd like to ask about how we can apply this to our community. Starting out um, is with a question of design. So let's imagine if we're looking in our landfill right now, what kind of things are we going to find in that landfill? And we're going to come up with everything from fabrics and computers and waste from food, um, batteries, diapers, um, even wood and leaves are probably in our landfill. A whole range of, product, of products that don't necessarily have to end up in the landfill. Um, we're also, when we think about ourselves, we're also referred to as consumers. 
but very little of what we purchase and passes through our hands is really consumed by us. We consume some food, air, water, everything else. We just use its service for a brief period of time, whether that's a piece of clothing that's protecting us from rain and from the elements, or if it's a car where it's getting us from where we need to go today to where we need to be this afternoon. Um, We're really employing the service of most of those products. We're not really consuming them. 90% of the valuable materials that are extracted to make those durable goods become waste almost immediately. That's a pretty significant number. Um, For that to become waste immediately means that the manufacturers are taking valuable materials that have been mined or extracted, putting that into products that we purchase, and we're tossing them. And then they have to start all over again with finding those valuable materials. Another concept that's discussed in the introduction of how we currently are designing things looks at one size fits all. So right now, speaking architecturally, a lot of buildings are designed to drop on a site anywhere. Could be in Tennessee, it could be in Michigan, it could be in Arizona. Um, But one size doesn't necessarily fit all. The same thing can be true for a lot of our products like soaps. And in Cradle to Cradle, they give a great example um, of soap products and how they're typically designed for the very worst case scenario. Many of our products are. So that that soap is designed so it can be used whether you have soft water or hard water or if you're washing clothes in a stream somewhere in another country. So the products are currently designed for worst case scenario. Buildings are often designed for fitting any location rather than really being specific for their intended use, their durability, and their location. We also aren't thinking about what happens at the end of that product life. And so with those soaps, what happens after the soap goes into the water stream and it comes in contact with the skin of a fish? Um, So there are consequences beyond its use Um, that that currently aren't thoroughly taken into consideration. Monoculture is another topic that they talk about in Cradle to Cradle, where conventional agriculture or even our neighborhood lawns are an example of this, um, where a monoculture landscape is highly specialized to produce the maximum amount of one particular crop or one particular type of grass. Uh, and by, in, in doing this, we're actively removing the diversity of all the plants and the insects and the, the nutrients that are located in, um, in that lawn or in that agricultural area. It, it then takes away a lot of the birds and insects that would naturally feed on the pest um, insects that would feed on that crop. So we then have to apply pesticides to deal with that problem. The more pesticides we apply, the more strong and resistant the pest become. So we, we're in this cycle. And also with nutrients, if we have a monoculture and we're not rotating crops like, like was done in the past, then we're having to add back more and more nutrients just to, to stabilize that soil and to make that soil useful for future crops to grow. So that's currently, it's sort of a, if you've heard of heat, beat, and treat, Anybody heard that term? No? If you, this is heat, beat, and treat for agriculture is our current. Heat, beat, and treat comes from, it may be biomimicry that talks about that. And I have some other books that I can mention at the end of this. But um, in nature, insects can create amazing things. Spiders can create webs that are stronger than Teflon. 
Um, mussels can create glues that allow them to attach underwater to other surfaces, and they all do that with just the natural products they, they, they come up with rather than using the chemicals and, and high amounts of heat and energy in order to process it like we do with a lot of our chemicals. But that's getting off onto another book, so we'll get back. Okay, another uh, concept that they talk about in Cradle to Cradle are crude products. And when they're talking about crude products, they're talking about products that are often carrying ingredients that we don't really know are in them or that are put together in ways that they're not set up to be easily um, reused after their initial period of service. Um, an example of that is polyester clothing or plastic bottles is an example that was given in the book. Um, a lot of those contain um, antimony, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correct, um, which is a toxic metal. It's known to cause cancer. So the question, I, the question that we need to be asking ourselves is, is that a necessary component? Does it need to be in there? Um, are there some other ingredients or chemicals that could be used to provide the same benefit and be less toxic? And the consumers get the service of that um, plastic bottle or the service of that um, plastic or the polyester clothing. But what you may not realize is you're also getting these additional um, toxins, and that's one example of a crude product. The effects of that, they're, one of the effects, for example, is poor air quality. Um, and they list a study that studied a series of households for contaminants and found that more than half of the households had levels of seven toxic chemicals that were known to cause cancer. And it may be surprising to a lot of us that our indoor space can be more toxic than the outdoor space because a lot of the products that we bring into our homes and our offices and our elementary schools contain toxins that we, we don't necessarily know are there, and then they contaminate our indoor space. And in that particular study, the really scary part of that is that they found levels that were higher than those that would trigger a risk assessment for a residential soil at a Superfund site. So not just a little bit of toxic, but we're bringing in all of our materials a lot of toxic chemicals into our homes and, and schools and workplaces. So the book starts out with all of these things we're doing now, all these bad things, and they're quick to point out that it may be really tempting to turn back the clock to a day when only natural materials were used. Um, but they say the next, the next industrial revolution is not going to be some idealized pre-industrial state. Um, natural materials, they just can't meet the needs of our current population. So we need to come up with some other strategy of change a new way to look at the products that we, that we use, that we manufacture, that we consume, um, and that we specify. So a strategy of change um, where waste pollution, crude products, and other negative effects that, that have been described, um, those are not necessarily the result of corporations doing things that are morally wrong. It's just the consequences of what's now an outdated design system. So we need to rethink the way we are um, making things today. The next big concept that's introduced in, in Cradle to Cradle is why being less bad is no good. Um, it's a really interesting concept. And, we'll, and this is one of my questions when we get to the end of the discussion that I want to talk about because it's, it's an interesting idea. Um, if we look back at all those items that we found at the landfill, many of us think about that and think about all the stuff that's going to the landfill and, and okay, we need to recycle. 
So let's start recycling as many of those products as we can. We'll look for um, products that have a high recycle content. Um, we'll look for clothing that's recycled from plastic containers. Just because a material is recycled does not automatically make it ecologically benign. So, so it's a good start, but there are additional questions we need to start asking ourselves as well. And then most recycling is actually downcycling. A lot of examples of this, one would be if we take paper products and we mix white paper and newspaper and magazines. The result that you get from that is a downcycled recycled paper. It no longer has the higher qualities of the white paper when it's combined with the others. Another example of that is with metals. And so a lot of metals, when they're combined um, and then recycled, you get a, a lower grade of product. The, the same is true with plastics. They can only be recycled a certain number of times, and each time the quality or the value of, of that ingredient for future products is lessened. It, it just delays the amount of time it takes for that product to end up in the landfill or for it to end up as a waste product. We're, we're delaying the process. It's a great place to start. It's a good thing to do, but it's not the strategy for the long term as, is, as introduced in Cradle to Cradle. Let me ask about the concept of cradle to grave. How many people have heard of, of that? Okay. When we started looking at products, we're looking at from the point that you extract materials all the way through the useful life of that product until we're finished with its service. That's cradle to grave. What, what McDonough and Brungart want to talk about is cradle to cradle. How can we look at products from the time that they're created and the materials are, are used in the creation of that product to the end of its service life, and then taking it again and having it be continuously reused um, as a nutrient for future products. So that's, that's the concept of cradle to cradle. It doesn't, have a, it doesn't have an end. It's continuous. The nutrients are continuously able to be reused. And one other idea on the being less bad is no good. An example of that is, and I don't know if it's in the book or if I heard it in one of the, the um, lectures that I've heard of with William McDonough, but consider that we're on a car trip. We're headed from Knoxville to Boston, and we find ourselves, we're speeding down the highway, 65 miles an hour, and somebody in the back seat says, hey, this looks like Atlanta. And we realize we're not headed where we want to be heading. We're not going the right direction. Well, we can slow the car down. We can slow it down. 15%. We can slow it down 30%. We can slow it down 90%. But, and, and that's better, but it's, it's like being less bad. We're not going to get to Boston until we stop and we turn around and figure out, okay, how do we turn our car around and head into the direction that's actually going to get us to where we want to go? How, how do we produce products that are good? Um, right now, another concept they're talking about is we, we feel like we have to make a lot of sacrifices to be respectful of our planet, to be less bad. So a lot of us right now are recycling and we're consuming less. We're, we're making sacrifices um, to, to meet those ends. But what is being proposed in Cradle to Cradle is why can't we have an abundance and have it all be good like nature's processes? The book is an example of that. I can pass this around, or if others have it, you can let those that haven't seen the book look at it. What they wanted to do is not only write a book about the process, but also create a book that starts to um, show how that process can be applied to an actual product. And 
I don't think they've completely, I think they said that they haven't completely figured that out in the book. But if we look at the book, it's a beautiful thing to hold. It's really nice. It's colorful. It provides us with all the content that we want. When we look at the pages, the, the text is easy to read on the background. It has a really nice feel to it. The texture's smooth. Another benefit is it's even waterproof. And so spill coffee on it or you take it to the beach, it's okay. Um, the cover and the pages are the same material. And it's bound in a way that the binder doesn't have to be separated from it when we want to reuse it. And so this is an example, and we'll talk a little bit more about this in a minute, of a technical nutrient. So they've designed the book in a way that when we're finished reading it, when we finish passing it around to all of our friends, and they're finished reading it, then the book can be taken back, the text can be washed off in a hot water bath, and this can be endlessly, it's not something that can be recycled one or two times, a technical nutrient can be indefinitely reused to create more and more pages and covers and books. Um, so that's a, a great example of what they're trying to do with this. And I have, I have some other examples I'll pass around here in a minute. Talking about abundance, another concept that they talk about and introduce is the cherry tree. And this is a great time of year to think about cherry trees. With a cherry tree, they create an abundance of blossoms. All of those extra blossoms aren't considered waste in the natural cycle, in the, the cycle of the cherry tree, because they provide um, fruit for birds and humans. The, the blossoms that are produced fall to the ground and provide nutrients that are needed for the soil. Um, they create all those blossoms so that one of those seeds will recreate another tree. But all of those additional blossoms and seeds that are created are not waste. They're food, and they're food for another part of the cycle. So when we think about biological nutrients, which is the other cycle, this is what they're talking about. Every product in nature, every waste product becomes food for yet another process. And a question for us to be thinking about before we get to the end of the, of the talk is, what would a building look like if it were designed like a cherry tree or an industrial facility? Or how would a, how would a town look like if it were designed to function like a forest? Um, we can consider a typical office building where right now workers are in cubicles. There are a few corner offices. Um, how many of you have an operable window in your workspace right now? One? <laughs> a few, not too many. How many people have views from your workspace so you can sit where you're, at your desk and look out? Not too many. <laughs> but think about how much productive, more productive you would be if you, if you could adjust your windows or if you had a view outside. You know, there are great studies that show test scores go up when students have natural daylight. Um, hospital stays are reduced and healing increases when, when patients have natural daylight and views outside to living things. So we really have a need for, for a connection. Um, physical, visu visual, all back to the, to the natural world. And so in the book, McDonough and Brungard suggest that we should be designing our buildings like trees. So if they produce more energy than they consume, factories that can produce drinkable water from their effluence or from their waste, um, and products that when their useful life is over, that they become nutrients for something new, whether it's a biological nutrient or a technical nutrient. And that, that we strive for a world of abundance where it's not a world of limits or pollution of, or of wastes. 
the next concept is waste equals food, which we've been talking about. So that those wastes either become food for a new technological process or food for a new biological process or new natural process. Until recently in Earth's history, all growth was thought of as being really good. More trees, more species, more diversity, healthier ecosystems. It was all, it was all good. Just like the blossoms from, from the cherry tree, that they enrich the soil. Carbon dioxide from humans and animals exhaled is taken in by plants for their growth. Waste from animals go back into the soil for nutrients or for insects. Um, so all of the, major, the Earth's major nutrients, carbon, hydrogen, oxygen, and nitrogen, are all cycled and recycled in a continuous, endless loop. So it, that's the case of waste equals food. However, we're currently producing a lot of uh, materials in a way that they can't really be easily used for food or for nourishment at the end of their service or their usable life. So when we finish with it, it goes away, or we throw it away, or we cycle it a couple of times, and then it's at the end of its recyclable life. So the quantity of waste is piling up, and the problem with most of that is that the valuable food, whether it's biological or, or a technical nutrient, is combined, or it's not designed from the get-go, so that it can easily be recycled in one of those loops. Um, so now we're going to talk a little more about those two concepts, um, biological nutrients and technical nutrients. So whatever we have naturally, is, that's all we have. And whatever humans make, it does not ever really go away. It's always something that we need, to, we need to deal with. So biological nutrients are nutrients that will easily re-enter the water or the soil without depositing synthetic materials or toxins. So today, most packaging that we have is an example. Most of the packaging, which is said to be about 50% of the volume of our municipal um, landfills in, in the U.S., could be designed as biological nutrients. They could be designed so that after we get the product that it can safely be decomposed um, or go into a compost pile. This is an example that I got several years ago from a conference where um, McDonough was talking. And it's a, this is a, a bag, and it says waste equals food right on it. And I'll pass this around. This is an example of a biological nutrient. It's designed without any... Um, Toxic chemicals, it's designed so that at the end of its useful life, it can be shredded up and put on my compost pile or on my garden. It, it's a biological nutrient. So let's pass if you guys want to look at this. The book also gives a really great example of a European textile factory. So um, William McDonough and Michael Brongard partnered up with this textile company. They wanted to make a line of fabrics that could be just like this fabric, could be, technical, could be biological nutrients. Um, so what they wanted was a mixture of, they decided to use some safe, pesticide-free plant and animal fibers. So that was the easy part. The tough part was figuring out how to deal with the finishing processes and the dyes and some of the chemicals that go into the process of, of creating fabrics in typical um, textile manufacturing. Typically, there are about 8,000 chemicals that are used in, in textile manufacturing. And so they looked at all of the 8,000 chemicals and came up with a list of 38 out of that, that they thought that they could safely use, that were not toxic, that could safely um, go back as nutrients into the soil. And so then their task was to design a line of fabrics that used only those 38 chemicals and that used the plant and the animal fibers. So when the plant went into production, the really fascinating thing that the book talks about is when the plant went into pr production, they had the regulatory inspectors that come through to test the effluent, which is the, the the waste that's coming out of the plant 
they thought their equipment was broken. Um, because they were getting readings of the water, the effluent that was coming out of the plant, as being as clean or cleaner than the municipal water that was going into it. And so this was a case of, by reducing the toxins and using these natural materials, not only did they end up polluting less as a manufacturer, they also were able, all the employees were able to stop wearing their mask and their gloves for dealing with a lot of the, of the chemicals. Their whole paperwork process was reduced, which was a, a sort of unintended benefit that they got. Um, they didn't have to go through as much of the testing because they truly were creating products or a, a process where the end product was cleaner and the effluent was cleaner than the water coming into it. Another example, I think, of this is, is making sure that products are designed for their intended life. Um, if we have containers for, for products, that container only needs to, to last as long as it takes to get that product to, its, to where it's being used, um, like we talked about earlier with the waste stream. Another bad example of that is the styrofoam cup. When you think about a styrofoam cup, it's used one cup of coffee, two cups of coffee, and you're through with it. But that styrofoam is going to last for millions of years or a million years, something like that. A very long time. We, we don't really need products that last beyond their useful life. And you know, another example is why do we have a spot in the ocean where there are more plastic bags in circulation than plankton? So there are a lot of examples that we have right now of products that greatly exceed the useful life of what we need. And the book is an example of the second type of nutrient that they talk about, technical nutrients. So a technical nutrient will continue to circulate as a pure and a valuable material within a closed-loop industrial cycle. So this means that, that the, it won't be downcycled into lower and lower grade of materials. It can be used at its current, its current value um, indefinitely. Carpet is an example um, of a product that typically it's downcycled. When carpets are typically recycled, um, the company takes it back and it, it takes off the top layer of the nylon and it can recycle that nylon, but below that is a mix of things, of fiberglass and of nylon and PVC, and because it's all mixed up, it can't be easily recycled, so that goes into the waste stream. So, so we're downcycling the carpets in that process. There are carpet manufacturers that are looking at new ways of creating technical nutrients, and um, Nylon 6, I believe, is the name of, of one of those. It's a, it's a nylon that's designed specifically so that it can be indefinitely reused. So the carpet manufacturer could, for example, sell you the carpet for its service, for its use. When you're finished with it, the carpet manufacturer takes it back and it makes new carpet. The advantage to that is that the manufacturer's not having to continuously get a supply of new raw ingredients to make the product. The advantage for the consumer or for the user of that service is that we can feel good about changing carpet when we want to, when we want to have a new pattern or, or change the carpet because we're not adding it to the landfill. It's being continuously recycled or reused. Um, there are also benefits for the community because it diminishes the amount of extraction of raw materials that have to be used for manufacturing. Right now, manufacturers bring in the raw materials, they create the product, they sell the product to us. We use it for a very brief period of time and then those raw materials, a lot of them end up back in the landfill. The next concept is the idea that all sustainability is local. So we need to be looking at what is the right solution for this place. And the solution may be very different here than it would be in India or that it would be in Kansas or some other location. So it's important to think about sustainability is local, but it's also global. Um, so 
as we're thinking about, we wouldn't want to pollute our air and our water here locally, but neither do we want to, to pass that waste or that pollution on downstream to another community or even on into the future to another generation. And then toward the end of the book, they talk about a transition to a diverse and renewing energy flows. Not just the product, but looking at the, the energy flows that help us create products and help us to, to live comfortably. One utility in Indiana that they, they listed has found that multiple small power plants are more effective than having one big power plant because you have less loss over the transmission lines. That's a solution that, that is a, a local solution that seems to work um, in that situation. And with Knoxville, uh, or another solution is how about residences and businesses leasing all their south-facing roofs to the utility companies so that we can have solar panels um, located on them and help to create energy more locally. Um, and Knoxville is one of DOE solar cities right now. We have a growing um, industry of solar related to manufacturers that have moved here like Sharp and Hemlock and others. So thinking about things that are particularly um, applicable to our community is a, an important thing to consider for su sustainability. And then it's important, I think, toward the end of the book to, to understand that transformation does not happen all at once. Efficiency for example, in recycling, it's a valuable transition strategy to help the current system slow down. But what, what I think they're trying to really talk about in cradle to cradle is that as we're doing that, let's go ahead and start thinking immediately about another way of making products and providing services to us in a way that we can have the abundance that we need in ways that are continuously working within the biological or the technical nutrients. That's where I'm getting to as an overview of the book. And what I'd like to do at this point is open it up. I've got some questions about how might we apply these concepts, um, which are pretty big concepts. How would we really apply this to what we do, whether it's manufacturing or designing or products that we purchase um, in our community? That was Elizabeth Eason discussing the book Cradle to Cradle, Remaking the Way We Make Things by William McDonough and Michael Brongard. To hear podcasts of other programs, visit www.knoxlib.org, that's K-N-O-X-L-I-B dot O-R-G, and follow the link to the Brown Bag Green Book webpage.